I've never done heroin, but one night in 2010, I told a ballroom of strangers that I love the junk. Welcome to Overthinking in Your Underwear, the show where we use our overthinking brains for self-discovery instead of total sabotage. This is Lindsay, author of Overthinking in Your Underwear, the book now available on Amazon. This week, I couldn't help but wonder, a New York story. <laughs> so in honor of Sex in the City coming back in June, it's not called Sex in the City anymore, right? It's called... I couldn't help but wonder, <laughs> which is um, the new Sex in the City, uh, the later version, which I was just so obsessed with Sex in the City back in the day. I mean, Carrie was like my hero. I had the blonde curly hair. It was just like everything to me. Um, but we'll get into a little bit more of that later. But in honor of I Couldn't Help But Wonder, uh, coming back in June, I am going to read to you chapter one of my book, Overthinking in Your Underwear, uh, where I tell a funny story about my time living in New York. So without further ado, uh, here we go. I'm around 30 and recently moved from Missouri to New York for a job as a copywriter at an ad agency. Oh, I bet it's just like sex in the city, everyone says. Despite being a writer with curly blonde hair, my weak ankles could never manage a Manolo, and one sip of a Cosmopolitan has me complaining of a sugar headache. I'm what I like to call, to call sitting on the couch fun. Now this is before I harness the glory of saying exactly what you mean, the gorgeous lusty power of the hard no, which is how I found myself weak ankled and wrangled into one of those charity dating auctions. The kind where grown men and women stroll onto a stage and drunk people holler out a bid to take them on a date. It's a scene Carrie Bradshaw might stumble into, but I am not interested in this episode. So here I am trying to squirm out of a situation that could have been avoided with one sexy stand-in-your-worth word. But no, I didn't say it. Leading up to the event, I field a barrage of emails from an eager young coordinator named Mallory. And instead of attacking my apprehension, I fire an arsenal of excuses Mallory's direction. Oops, I have plans that night, I text. To which she responds, it's for the orphans. I lie again with an email. Mallory, this is awkward, but I'm seeing someone. It's not a real, it's not a real date, she counters. My final attempt is a text claiming, I get nervous in front of people, scared face emoji. Without a pause or a winky face, Mallory shoots back, it's not that big of a deal, Lindsay. The last one is a lie from both parties. I don't get that nervous in front of people and it's a huge deal. The night of the auction, I arrived to the ballroom in Midtown Manhattan. The room tugs at the corners from the pulse of people and sound. I press through a mob of cologne and sweat, estimating the fine for pulling a fire alarm in a crowded venue. I inch my way backstage and reach the lineup of women, yanking up their hair and throwing back shots. One of the women catches sight of me, spins around, and points to my dress. What kind of flower is that, she asks. Hibiscus, I answer without knowing. I'm Stacy, she says, bouncing on her toes like a kid waiting for the restroom. This is my favorite night of the year. Really? I judge. Looking at Stacy, it registers I missed a dress code memo. Most of the other women are wearing club wear of the sequin midriff variety, while I chose a polyester red dress with a flower applique on the shoulder. My outfit analysis is interrupted when Gwen Stefani screams something about bananas as the MC for the night takes the stage. Who's drunk and ready to save some orphans, he yells to the crowd. The MC is a fraddish something named Tyson or Bryson or Lysol. He seacrests around the stage and makes a few obligatory announcements before getting down to business. And our first bachelorette is Stacy, Tyson says. 
Stacy hugs me unnecessarily as she bounces toward Tyson, waving her hands in the air literally like she just doesn't care. Tyson continues as a Missy Elliott song blares in the background. Stacy loves to party. She can't live without Reese's Pieces, and if she were stranded on a desert island, the one thing she'd take with her? A selfie stick. Stacy works it to the crowd, flips it, reverses it, and dances off stage with a $3,000 bid under her midriff. The cadence of, of Tyson's question shudders me into a pale panic as I think back to a carelessly answered email from three weeks ago. Mallory sent a questionnaire during a busy workday asking me to quickly fill in a few fun questions and submit my walk-on music for the night. With zero context for how it would be used and 100% confidence I wouldn't be here right now, I answer Mallory's questions like a lazy smartass with no regard for my future self. Recalling this now as I watch the next bachelor bachelorette twerk near Tyson, I consider faking a medical emergency but fear my flailing will be interpreted as a dance move. I lock eyes with Mallory as Tyson says, and our next bachelorette up for grabs is Lindsay. Oh my God, this is happening. My vision tunnels through the spotlight, but a legendary chord progression booms loud and clear. Dun, 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 I step onto the stage as Don't Stop Believin' thunders in the background. I look out to a sea of blank, boozed up faces, waiting for me to pout, pose, or drop something like it's hot. My song selection hits all the wrong notes for this crowd more inclined to songs about thongs. But that was only the beginning. Remember the questionnaire? I imagined it would be printed in a program, and on paper, my responses seemed amusing, succinctly placed in repetition. If I'm being honest, I wasn't imagining, imagining anything. I hoped all of my excuses would exit me out of the situation unfolding before me. I hear my words escape Tyson's mouth, and I question my answers and my life altogether. Lindsay likes heroin, Tyson says. She can't live without heroin. And if she were stranded on a desert island, the one thing she'd take with her? Heroin. Tyson condemns me with a glance. The crowd stirs, talks, and clinks glasses. They don't laugh. They don't gasp. They just don't get it. And honestly, I don't either. Do I hear $50? Tyson asks the crowd. I walk to the edge of the stage, ignoring that Tyson began the bidding lower than the cost of my subway pass. I smile and wave and possibly curtsy. I point to imaginary friends in the crowd and gesture as if I'm a politician on the campaign trail. A hand shoots up from a young man in the front row. $50, he says. Do I hear 100 Tyson says with more question in his voice than I appreciate. 100 booms a faceless voice in the back. Really? Okay, Tyson says. Do I hear 200 he continues. 200 slurs a polo shirt near the exit. Wow, interesting, Tyson says. A bearded guy by the bar waves his hand and shouts, 300. Do I hear 400? Tyson asks. The room stands still and after another moment, Tyson declares, sold for $300. Have fun with this one. I shoot Tyson a parting look, solidifying our unsaid feelings for one another and leave with a respectable bid and my self-respect intact. The night of my assigned date, I show up to the restaurant and see the, bar the bearded bitter sitting at the bar. He seems to have started happy hour yesterday, but I don't mind. It's not a real date, as Mallory informed me, and I plan to let Vodka Tonic do the talking for me as well. After the normal cheers, chit-chat, and awkward pauses, I ask my date why he bit on a girl with a taste for heroin and arena rock bands. He pauses a moment and says, I didn't understand it, but you owned what you were doing, and I liked that. And that is how I met my husband, Josh. I'm kidding. I never saw him again, and I certainly don't remember his name. 
So that is the lead-in story to chapter one of my book. Believe it or not, the rest of that chapter is about the difference between confidence and self-worth. Confidence is something you fake at a date auction, on a date, on a work interview, and self-worth is something that you work really hard to earn. And really what we do the rest of the book is talk about earning that self-worth through various activities and exercises and changes that you make in your life. So just a little more overthinking on New York. Um, I've lived a couple of places in my life um, and people are always always asking, what was your favorite place you lived? And I, I always say New York. Um, New York has just a certain kind of energy about it. You can't really walk out the door without getting swept up in it and and feeling that energy and letting it carry through the day. You can't help but feel alive in New York. It sounds cliche, but it's true. There is just kind of a verve that carries you through the day. Um, you feel it the minute you land there. You feel it at every moment. It's hard to feel tired in New York. It just, it has a feeling about it. And um, it's different than Chicago, another big city. Um, it's different than any big city that I've ever been in. And I love it so much. Uh, there, there's more about New York than just that. It is a, it's a hard city. Like everything about New York is hard. Like I always said this about it too. Like no matter how easy your day is, you had a day. You had to get up, you had to get to the subway. Maybe this subway was broken, so you had to walk two blocks to get on another subway. You got to work, you had your work. Maybe you wanted to go to yoga afterwards. You had to run to yoga. You're walking there, not getting in your car, mind you. You had to run to yoga, find your spot. The class is definitely crowded. You pack in, you leave, you walk home. You probably picked up your dinner because most people don't you know, have like a full kitchen where they're cooking. You pick up your dinner, you get home. It's like nine o'clock at night. You had a day. Um, and in between there, probably nine other things happened. You saw something crazy. Again, your transportation broke down. It started raining on you. You couldn't get a cab. So no matter how like flawlessly everything else went in your day, you still had a day. <laughs> so, um, New York is just, it's a tiring place. Like that's, that's all there is to it is it's a tiring place to live. Um, but, but you can't help but love it. You can't help but fall in love with it. The other thing about New York um, is that everyone is always coming. I mean, of course, there's New Yorkers. There's, of course, there's New Yorkers. But most people are coming from somewhere else. They're coming from their hometowns, the KC's, the Omaha's, Texas, Minnesota. Um, they're even moving from the West Coast to do something on the East Coast. And they're there to do something big. You know, they want to be on Broadway. Maybe they need to be at the center of finance. But everyone made a big move. Um, to be in New York. So while everyone's always the main character of their story, no matter where they are, everyone really has main character syndrome <laughs> in New York. I imagine it's the same way in LA, probably way worse in LA. Actually, I know it is. I've spent a lot of time in LA. Um, so yeah, probably worse in LA. But everyone is very focused on themselves and their mission and their goal and why they made this huge move to get there in New York. There's nothing wrong with that, but it just happens to be what the mentality is. It doesn't mean that 
people aren't nice in New York. I think that cliche is wrong. People are very nice. I was telling this to someone the other day. I don't know why New York came up. But if you are standing on a corner in New York looking around, someone will walk up to you in 10 seconds and say, what are you doing? Where are you going? And you'll hand over your phone or you'll, you'll, they'll give you your phone. They'll get on your phone. They'll put in the map. They'll help you get there. Um, and I also said, like, I knew I was a real New Yorker when I saw someone and I walked up and I said, what are you doing? Where are you going? <laughs> because you also get this, like, after being there a couple years, you get an innate map of the city just, like, embeds in your head. It really is easy to figure out how to get around once you've been there a while. Um, but that's not what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about geography. But New Yorkers are very nice. That cliche isn't fair. They actually are very nice. They're just intense. They're busy. They're focused on what they're doing in a way that you don't really find in the Midwest. The Midwest is slower. Um, people have more time to sit and talk. Um, it's easier. It's just an easier flow that you don't find on the East Coast. Um, so it's easy to feel lost in the current. I mean, you see those images on movies of the people walking down the street, the fast flush of people walking down Park Avenue or wherever those shots are taken. And that's like a real feeling of just getting swept up in the current. Um, you know, no one's going to stop and invite you over for Sunday dinner in New York because it's all this very, everyone has a tiny apartment. It's not a place where you can really host people. So it, it becomes a very autonomous city where you have to meet your friends out and um, meet up that way instead of really spending time in someone's home, which can be fine. Um, and But it also can allow you to feel like a little bit lonely there. Like I, I had really great friends while I lived there, you know, some of them that I still talk to, and they were some of the most real down-to-earth pe down people that I've ever been friends with. Um, for instance, my friend Christine, who is actually a New Yorker, she lived on, she lived in the burbs somewhere of New York, um, but and went to school in New York and then was working in the city when we became good friends. One of the most down to earth people that you will ever meet. But what I was going to say about her is that I don't think I ever saw Christine's apartment. And I don't think she ever saw my apartment. All the times that we spent together was meeting up somewhere, going to grab a drink after work, meeting up somewhere on the weekend. Whereas now that I'm back in Kansas City on the Midwest, in the Midwest, I'll go over to my best friend's house and spend a whole Sunday just laying there, drinking coffee, talking. We watch a TV show. We order lunch. We go for a walk. Then we do something else. Dinner time comes. Do you want to stay for dinner? Yeah. That's a different kind of friendship, and it allows you to feel less lonely, too, if you can spend that kind of time with someone. Um, and that's it, that's not allowed in New York, I don't think, just because of how the city is set up. Other people may have had different experiences. That was my experience. Um, it's just more of an autonomous city. Um, back to Sex in the City. Um, I Because I knew I was writing this, I watched a few episodes of the old Sex in the City the other night. And I mean, there's just nothing like it. I love it so much. It is so good. The styles, the banter, the girls, I love them so much. I will say this, that 
that made, I didn't know this until I lived there and made me laugh. I don't think anyone really dresses like that in New York. I've never seen someone come out of their house in a tutu and three inch heels and a sequin crop top and skip down the sidewalk and into traffic and wave a cab and the cab actually pull up. Um, I love Carrie. I love her style. Um, I love whoever styled her. Who did style her? I would have known this if I wasn't trying to think of it. Um, but I mean, I love it. I love all the fashion. They should have done it. It's just not realistic. Like as much as I like to dress up and like to enjoy fashion, it's just not practical. I would have worn flat shoes, jeans, a sh just a comfortable shirt. You're cold in the office building. You're like I said, you're running from sub this subway that's broke to that subway that's broke. You're getting rained on. You couldn't have paid me to wear three inch heels. I mean, absolutely. There's not one day. There is not one day that I lived in New York that I wore three inch heels. I don't even think I wore a heel with a sandal, a sandal with a heel. I mean, I just think that's, that part is hilarious. Um, and I didn't see all my peers doing it. And I was the only one that was like slouching on the job. Just absolutely. The fashion is like, is hysterical to me. And again, maybe the people that are, that made a lot more money that are taking transportation anywhere dressed like that. I didn't necessarily see it though. I'm going to say that. Um, so thank you so much for thinking, overthinking this with me this week. Um, I encourage you to get the book. It's on Amazon and read this chapter and the advice that goes with it. And until next time, I'm wishing you all good thoughts.